Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Now, I don't know if you needed a reminder, but my name's Tim, and uh, I'm the pastor here at First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce. Yeah! Been waiting a long time to say that. I know that you guys found that out like in April, but I found it out in February, and that's a long time to live knowing in like this in-between space of knowing that I was coming but not being here yet, and so it's good to be with you today. You know, before I go and say anything else, I just want to uh, thank this church uh, for the warm welcome that uh, I and my family uh, have received. You know, from the, the moment that I was first in contact with, with Martha Cross and then to meeting with the leadership team back in April, to being here uh, just for the first Sunday in worship with you all uh, last week, uh, throughout all of that, I have felt uh, a deep sense of peace and uh, comfort. And the best way that I can describe it is I was driving down, I think it was Edwards Road or something. I don't know any roads except for like the ones that I live off of in like Orange and Avenue A, right? That's it. That's my knowledge. And one, I think, right? That's the one over there. Uh, but I was driving around and I just felt like I was at home, which is weird because I've never been here before. So, um, but speaking of homes, I want to thank you deeply for the home that you guys have provided uh, for, for us. Everything about it is perfect. And so I just thank you for all of the work that was done and put in to, to acquire it, to get it ready, to uh, fill it with uh, love and fill it with food, snacks, Twizzlers. <laughs> I don't like them, but my wife does. So, Lexi, Ezra, and I are, are just eternally grateful for the hospitality uh, that we have have felt that you have shown to us and you know it's always difficult to to move to a new area and you guys have made the transition here uh, as easy on us as it could possibly be and so thank you (laughs) thank you you have truly been an example to us of who jesus is and the way that the church is called to exist in the world you know, when I think about the reception that, that we have received here from you all, and also just kind of reflect on the way that uh, Methodist pastors and the Methodist church operate, I help but think of a, a pure story from the gospel accounts. Well, I can't help but think, what a strange way to meet. I mean, it's just given a call one day and said, you're going to Fort Pierce. And you guys were given a call saying, you're getting this guy named Tim. And we're all left to think like, hope this works. (laughs) 
We've got to make this work, I guess. It's strange, and it's particularly strange for us in our uh, American culture where we're pretty proud, and we identify ourselves with our autonomy, or maybe better said, with our freedom, you know, to choose for ourselves, especially when it comes to important things going to lead us. So the irony is not lost on me that here today and all across the Methodist connection throughout the United States, churches are being introduced to their newly appointed pastors, their newly appointed leaders, on the eve of the celebration of our nation's rejected of appointed leaders, right? So I'm just hoping that we'll continue the celebration after today and you guys won't have some sort of tea party tonight and let me know that I need to pack again. I'm not ready to do that. But anyway, even though that this way that we meet is is a strange way to meet, much like an arranged marriage, and even though it certainly violates some of our modern American sensibilities, I think that it's a good, good thing. And I think that because I've been around on this earth for like 30-some years, and the number one lesson that I have learned is that God knows what's best for me. And from reading this thing and studying it, I have come to believe and know that God knows what is best for God's church. And so I've submitted myself to God's calling, leading, and sending, and I thank you for submitting yourselves to receiving. I know, I kind of chased the squirrel there. But before that, I said that this whole thing reminded me of a story from the gospel accounts. And so it's a story that's actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But today I'm going to just focus in on uh, what Luke has to say about it. And so what has been happening in Luke's gospel is that he's been detailing some of the travels of Jesus and the disciples, particularly focusing in on how Jesus is healing people, how he has power over demons, the the things that he was teaching, and the reception that he has been receiving. In some places, Jesus is received warmly and positively, and in other places, such as a Samaritan village, he's turned away which to us seems pretty reasonable if we are aware of the entire trajectory of Jesus' life and how it culminates with his ultimate rejection on the cross. But for those who might be reading or hearing Luke's words for the first time, either now or 2,000 years ago, this might come as a surprise. The, The tension here might make them kind of uncomfortable because this man, this this Jesus of Nazareth is clearly special, right? He's clearly got powers that are incomprehensible and unexplainable. And but most of all, he's clearly just a nice guy. He's clearly going places and helping people and asking for nothing in return, which is unheard of. So why? Why is this Jesus facing rejection? And not only that, when he's talking about the level of commitment that it is going to take for someone to follow him, he says 
you're going to be rejected too. People aren't always going to like you. Who wants to follow in that footstep? It's a pretty steep ask that Jesus makes when he says, follow me. But this is and and has been the case for thousands of years, for billions of Christians. Being called by Jesus is not an easy thing for us. But even more difficult, perhaps, is what happens next in Luke's gospel. So this comes from Luke chapter 10, verse 1, and it starts off like this. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. I'm going to just stop right there at the, the first verse because there's some really important terminology here that's going to help us understand what's, what's really going on. And so when Luke refers to Jesus as the Lord, he is invoking ancient terminology that was used to identify the God of Israel. You see, by the time that Jesus came onto the scene, the name of God, which was revealed to Moses in the burning bush, Yahweh, the name that was given to him to use when declaring the freedom of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. That name is no longer used. The people fear that they don't deserve to use the name. And so what they do is they simply refer to the God of Israel as the Lord. First using a Hebrew word and then using a Greek word that both get translated into our English Bible as Lord. So by starting off this way, Luke is identifying Jesus as the God of Israel, as God Almighty, as Yahweh of the Israelites himself. And the next important detail is the number 70. It's really important in this passage because it correlates to something that is happening on a cosmic scale. So if you were to go and read Genesis 10 and not fall asleep while reading it, because it's just a list of names, and you actually count it, you would find that there are 70 nations that are descended from Noah after the flood. These are the 70 nations that are scattered across the earth at the Tower of Babel incident. And these nations were considered by Israel to be under the influence of demons or other spiritual forces. And so this is going to be really, really important for the rest of the story that follows. And so if you I lost you. To recap, the God of Israel is sending people out on a mission that symbolizes, like, the entire mission of God in the Bible. To seek out and save those who are under the influence of powers other than God himself. And so, the story goes on. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. You see, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there, shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. 
Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So there's some similarities in the gospel account. These folks... And is on. Well, then I said, peace, this house. You said, peace, back to me. And so we're already sitting down. I'm remaining in this house. Sorry. <laughs> You've done your part. Good job. Like, you've done your work. That means that it's my turn to live up to this text. And so I plan to do my best to cure all the sickness every possible way, declare that the kingdom of God is near, not already here. Now, I'm no doctor, and I'm not a miracle worker that I know of. Maybe that'll change. I don't know. But I do have a particular sense of why God has called me, of all people, into ministry. And so it would probably be a good idea to share some of that with you all. I've been a a United Methodist for pretty much my whole life. Um, I was told at a a really young age that... um, I was called into ministry. But I was like, no. (laughs) I rejected that for a long time. In fact, I I ran about as far away from ministry as I could get. My teenage and adult, early adult years were troubled, to say the best, as I sought to kind of find my place in the world. And so I'm uh, a product of uh, Philadelphia skate punk culture, uh, which means that I adopted the the healthy dose of authoritative aversion that was common amongst that culture. That just means I was a troublemaker, okay? (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I wasn't all trouble all the time. I was mostly uh, kind-hearted, do-gooder type with... You know, like just a bit of trouble on the side. Like, you remember the nights and weekend plan? I adopted that into my personal life for when I was going to cause and create trouble. Uh, My mom didn't appreciate it. But by day, I I worked, and I I got an education, and I pursued um, all of these different academic areas that were based in in social sciences. Uh, My first love was sociology, which is just really the the study of societies and societal problems, kind of on a a large scale, as well as uh, anthropology, which is the study of cultures and people groups and how they interact with one another. And eventually, I decided I wasn't going to be able to do much good just looking at things on a grand scale. And so I got into human resources and counseling, which is just looking at uh, people and problems and the ways that society and society's problems have negatively affected them on individual and a person. And all the while, I was doing all these things, and I, I couldn't see how all of this was literally what ministry is all about. Like understanding the, the problems of our world and how they manifest negatively in the lives of individuals, and then offering them the solution, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. 
And so meanwhile, I'm just continually flustered by the fact that I, I was learning to see and define and understand problems, but that none of the solutions that anyone had ever come up with or that I could think of either seemed viable or seemed like something that the politics of our world wouldn't reject and shred. And so in the hopelessness uh, of that reality, plus the fact that Somehow, my particular brand of troublemaking stopped being nights and weekends and started being all day and all night, 24-7 problem. That all led me to a place of absolute surrender. And, and it was in this place, this my own dark night of the soul, that I walked into a United Methodist Church in Tampa, Florida which is a really long way from Philadelphia. I walked in there on Easter Sunday of 2013, and it was then that I experienced the healing power of Jesus, and the call began to make some sense. And pretty much immediately since then, I... I've been serving in ministry. I served in youth ministry and as the youth pastor of uh, that very church in Tampa for four years. And then most recently, I served for five years in a cross-cultural appointment as the pastor of a congregation of Pacific Islanders uh, who came to us from the Federated States of Micronesia. And I served there until now, as I serve with you. And in case you're wondering, I don't partake in that particular previous brand of troublemaking any longer, but that doesn't mean that I'm not still a troublemaker. I just make a different kind of trouble now, holy trouble, and I invite others to come and join me. But you see, my call is to reach those who are experiencing the most hopelessness in this world, those whom the world has left behind, and probably more importantly, those whom the church has left behind. And there are a lot of those folks outside of the doors of this and every church across the world. So my call is to, to go to them. And I believe with all of my heart that this is the reason God has called Fort Pierce and this church in here just a little bit, but I have seen the great hope you all have for this community and I'm really excited for everything that we are going to be able to accomplish together. So this is what I think it means for me to heal the sick and to say the kingdom of God has drawn near. And so my promise to you is to do everything that I can do to make sure that my call is fulfilled here in this way with you. All right, enough about me. Back to the guy who we're here to talk about, Jesus. And so Jesus continued on by saying this. He says, whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. See, the 70 turned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. 
See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the Spirit submits to you, that your names are written in heaven. So I think that what is being detailed here is, is really a, a foreshadowing of God's ultimate hope for each of us as we follow Jesus. You see, the 70 that, that Jesus sent out all return, and they talk about this power, this great power that they were given when they called on the name of Jesus. They say, Jesus, in your name, even demons were no match for us. And now just remember what I said about ancient worldview a little bit earlier. As far as Israel understood, as far as Jesus and his Jewish followers Understood, the surrounding nations were deeply influenced, if not completely controlled, by spiritual forces. And you know, if you were to go and talk to some foreign missionaries today, especially those who, who work and serve in areas where, of the world that practice uh, certain types of religions that are, are really deeply steeped in witchcraft, you'll hear of a similar worldview. You'll hear similar stories and similar experiences of the power that Jesus has given to them to combat the spiritual forces of darkness. But, you might be thinking, like, yeah, Tim, that's cool. But that's not necessarily our experience here in America. I'd say, maybe. Maybe that's true. But we do see here how people of our part of the world are controlled by forces that seek to destroy them. Alcoholism, addiction, consumerism, idolatry of all kinds and forms, political polarization, war, famine, disease, where I came from, Tampa, strip clubs, over here, arcades for gambling, sex, money, rock and roll. Not rock and roll. We like rock and roll. <laughs> But do you see the correlation here? These forces that seek to destroy our world are no match for Jesus and Jesus' kingdom. And we are the persons who are given authority over all of these messes. And so, church, I have to ask you, do you have your boots on? Are you ready to tread on some snakes and scorpions? Are you ready to take on the brokenness of Pierce, the brokenness of St. Lucie County, the brokenness of America, the brokenness of... Because I am. My boots are on. And I just need to know who's coming with me. Heck yeah. Come to me. <laughs> you see, Jesus says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And the reason that we rejoice that our names are written in heaven is for us this means that we know without a doubt that we have been given authority to go where we are sent, to stamp out the forces of darkness there and to give God all the glory when the job is done. This is the mission of God in our world and this is the mission of us. God's people here 
in Fort Pierce. And so I look forward to this season of ministry. I look forward to the, the ways that we will tread on darkness together. Well, the ways that the name of Jesus be glorified through us. Because God, God is not done with us yet. God is not done with this church yet. And God is telling us that we have got work to do still. And so I can think of no better way to consecrate this season of ministry that we are entering into together than to partake of the Lord's table. This table, it's a reminder that we are uniquely bound to God, that we're uniquely bound to one another through the redemption brought to us through the cross and the resurrection. It's a reminder that the cross and the resurrection symbolize Jesus' victory over the spiritual forces of sin and death. And you know, on the night before Jesus conquered the forces of sin and death. He sat and he had a meal with his disciples. And as they sat and as the hour drew near, he took bread. And he gave thanks to God. He broke the bread. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then after the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to God. He gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my blood, which poured out for you. This is the blood of the new covenant that I make with you here tonight this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so, for thousands of years, disciples, followers, seekers of Jesus have gathered at the table. They've come to, to remember the gift that was given to us through the cross, the power that was given to us through the resurrection. And as a reminder, God is not done with us yet. And so would you pray with me? God, we invite you into this place. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here and on these gifts of bread in the cup. That they might be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be the body of Christ, redeemed, sent out like the 70, in mission and ministry to all the world, to declare your victory over the spiritual forces of darkness, to declare your victory over sin and death, and declare that you are the king 
king of our hearts, the king of the cosmos, and the king of our world. God, we pray all of this in your precious and holy name. Amen. So today, we're going to give out little pieces of pre-cut bread, little cups of juice. If you're still uncomfortable taking these elements in this way, we have prepackaged elements that you can take as well. But I want you to know that in the United Methodist Church, we practice an open table. And what that means is that you don't need to be a member of this church to come and receive God's grace. You don't need to be a member of the United Methodist Church or a member of any church. All that is from you is a heart comes seeking knowledge of his love for you and power that he has given you to love those around you. But to come, taste the grace.